This is a Rocket Audio production. I'm something of a fanboy for this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. Becca Caddy is a technology and science journalist, and she works as a freelancer across a number of titles, some that prick my consciousness, like Wired, and some that I've not had a look at for a number of years, like Stylist. She's really, really good company. Start of the year, she released a book. It's called Screen Time, How to Make Peace with Your Devices and Find Your equilibrium. What we try to do and what Becca does so brilliantly is almost reclaim screen time. Not all screen time is bad, she points out. If it's using to enhance a situation, that could be broadly a good thing. But similarly, she does talk about the need for connection. We say that word a number of times ourselves and we discuss the merits of addiction as well. As a sidebar, Becca's also a really good advocate of how journalism could and should work. Look, she's talent. It's not her job to come up with the business rationale but she does have an understanding of it, nevertheless. We talk about her background, we talk about her journey and talk about the the various jobs she's had and come up with the title Screen Time. And then finally, we ask a special tech version and we seek to get Becca's rocket fuel. So, uh, first thing that I have to say, Becca, is thanks so much for being this week's guest on Rocket Fuel. It's really good to have you along. Yay, thank you for inviting me. No worries at all. Now, Becca, the first section of our chat is going to be so that our listeners and I can get to know you. I've, I've already said just off air that I'm fanboy is probably too strong a word, but I do <laughs> love the stuff that you're creating around thank tech and, and it's just great stuff. What's your journey, Becca? How did you end up getting where you are now? And did you even want to end up here? <laughs> What's next? <laughs> um, okay, so it's You'll have to stop me if I uh, if I ramble, but you know. <laughs> this is the rambling part. This is good. Uh, so, do you know what? If we go way back, what's really interesting is um, I wrote my first article for my local paper um, 21 years ago. So I found this the other day. There's a piece from 2000 um, that I wrote when I was uh, how old must I have been? Maybe 12 or 13. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I must admit that back then, I don't know if I did really feel like uh, being a journalist was what I wanted to do, but it it has been really fun looking back through some early pieces because, you know, I am. Um... Uh, I, I'm writing, you know, very serious stuff back then, like um, hmm. who's better, Pink or Britney? Uh, I yeah, think that was the, that was the big was question. Who was out of interest? Um, of I said Pink. that I quite liked the fact that Pink was bringing a different look to the uh, to the, <laughs> to the music industry. That was my argument. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so um, I did an English degree, and I remember thinking on the English degree, I had no idea what I wanted to do afterwards, and. I think I went to some kind of um, uh, kind of event about master's degrees um, and quite like the idea of public relations. So I did a PR and kind of strategic marketing uh, master's, not really knowing what I wanted to do next, mm. um, but loved the, there was kind of a, an early kind of social media element to it, mm. a copywriting element to it. So I just knew that I loved both of those things. So I got an internship at a social media kind of led PR consultancy which one really? of interest I'm a bore in this space <laughs> um so they're called I, I think they're still around they're called Wolfstar consultancy um, oh, okay nice yeah yeah yeah, um, so, rings a bell. 
Yeah, so they were up in Leeds um, and, it, and it was interesting. It was a mixture of kind of like regional PR clients, but also some really great um, digital kind of social media accounts. So I worked on like a Sony Ericsson uh, kind of helping them build like media hubs and things like that. So it was my first step into uh, the world of work, but also into tech and getting to know about tech companies and things like that. Um, and I had that similar kind of, I realized that I didn't, my heart wasn't in it, but what mm. I did enjoy was the, was the writing side of it. Sure. Um, so then I moved into kind of a, I actually, it's just, I don't normally always admit this, but I moved into a copywriting role at Asda doing all the product copy. So I worked with like bakery and cheese That's section. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And you get to taste the products and then like write on the front of them, you know, like, um, I can't yeah. even think of an example off the top of my head, but you know what I mean. Um, I do, yeah. Yeah. Succulent sausages, perfect for exactly. time. Yeah. That sort of yeah. stuff. Okay. That kind of thing. <laughs> um, but what, Do you still see your greatest hits when you announced that? Do you still look up and down the aisles? I, you know what? I think there are still some in the in the kind of cake section. Yeah, that mm. are me. Yeah, which is great. Amazing. Many congrats. <laughs> <laughs> and um, obviously being a product copywriter wasn't what I wanted to do, but it got kind of, it got junior copywriter on my CV, which was really important. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I, um, I had a blog where basically I was just critiquing what brands were doing on social media. Um, probably in quite a harsh, irreverent way. Now looking back, it would probably make me cringe if I still had the archives, but, um, so I was doing a lot of blogging and that caught the attention of a couple of kind of online magazines and stuff. And, you know, eventually I just moved out of copywriting and became a full-time freelancer. A lot of things happened at the same time. Yeah. Um, I got my first tech column. Um, so this was about 11 years ago. Who was your first, where was the tech blog? Who was your first big title to publish your work? When did you scream and go, wow, I'm really going to make something? Um, it was kind of simultaneously. Um, I got a column at Bitch Buzz, which isn't around anymore, but it was kind of a, a pop culture feminist website mm. um, run by Kate Sevilla, who, um, you know, was one of the first people to like really start blogging I feel like in the UK or get people in the UK to take blogging seriously um so that was my first kind of tech column but then I also worked for a site that uh, isn't around anymore but it's it was called Reputation Online so that was run by the uh, Centaur Media I think yeah months. I might yeah. have done that wrong uh, but who, who, whoever ran New Media Age um yes so I did that at the same time so it's kind of like a a really good mix of of things um that cut to you know consumer and and, and b2b and the journalism that you work, the titles that you work for in a freelance capacity, have I seen mm. your work in Stylist and Tech Radar as well? Or, yeah. So there's a huge kind of spectrum of audiences that you talk to. That's right. How does that change the art? How do you adapt when you're, how are things different depending on the audience that you look at? Yeah, um, and, and I guess that's, that's a really interesting question because they are so different. Um, mm. When I was thinking about coming on, this podcast and I was thinking just how much of my role is actually research rather than writing yeah. so I do spend a lot of time kind of reading for the sites that I write for before I write for them um who's the audience what's the tone it and, and there's that kind of line between what is the tone of voice for the site what do the readers want but how mm. can I bring my voice a little bit to it as well so everything doesn't just read exactly the same um yeah. so there's, there's that big consideration um but yeah there, there is a big difference and then obviously kind of like different writing styles different editing styles when I come to work with an editor and um 
and yeah, I think I really, I really enjoy that. I, I think I get, I think I get, I get bored at just one site and I have worked at just one site a few times um, for mm. MSN and things like that. Um, I, I, yeah, I like adapting. Yeah. But, fascinatingly, I didn't know that you'd had sort of your embryonic career beginnings in the world of PR. In many mm. ways, you've gone the other way, if you like. Lots yeah. of journalists um, go that way. Um, I suppose two questions really currently in this world where journalists certainly mainstream journalists seem to be finding it harder and harder to get work what what are your plans to future proof yourself if you like I'm guessing it's more best-selling books but we'll come to that <laughs> so future proofing journalists but then also I'm I'm kind of really keen to know what skills you think journalists have to have in order to 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 live in today's world yeah, okay, so that's really interesting because um, I think what might be useful to kind of talk about briefly is just the the kind of the different kinds of journalism. So I call myself a freelance journalist. I guess really, if we're getting more specific, I'd be more like a freelance features journalist because most of what I do is quite is quite long form. Um, yeah. And I have worked at kind of sites um, doing a lot of news, but that's not the kind of journalism I do now. So um, I feel like, you know, for anyone listening who would want to be in a newsroom, um, there's definitely, you know, things that I do now that would be relevant, but that would be a very different pace and probably very different requirements to what I do now, which is actually quite slow a lot of the time and very research led. And, um, you know, I do get some tight deadlines that I have to work to sometimes, but um, you know, sometimes we're talking about like a whole month of research and interviews for just one piece. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then in terms of kind of future proofing myself, um, and now I know some people are extremely successful not doing the actual opposite of this. So I just mm. want to make that really clear. But for me, it's actually being quite specific. And um, uh, so I, I, I say that I do write about you know tech science in the future. Um, but really, a lot of what I do is writing about tech and how we use it and yeah. behavior and it, there's actually quite a lot of kind of like behavioral psychology stuff in what I write as well um mm. and obviously like if you look at my portfolio there's all kinds of other bits and pieces in there there's reviews and things like that but um I think the stuff that I really enjoy and the stuff that I feel like uh what's the word has got me kind of most noticed mm. is the more interesting kind of curious questions around why we use tech and how we can kind of use it better and um the book isn't entirely that, but that's why I think that I ended up writing the book because it's very much not just the tech, not just how we use it, it's how we can how we how we can live better with the tech. That we I, I really have noticed that in bits that I've read, both of the book and of your articles. It's about the reaction to tech as much mm. as it is about the tech in its play. Who did you idolise with anybody when you were growing up? Who have you nicked ideas from? Which other journalists out there <laughs> do you think are great? Um. I, I wrote a few down, actually, because um, there are some people that I really think are great right now. I, I don't know. In terms of kind of people that inspired me, I've already mentioned Kate Sevilla. Um, mm. I feel like getting the role at Bitch Buzz made me really switch on to kind of her style of thinking and writing. She, you know, she was definitely a big impact on me. Um, right now, though, uh, so there's a US-based journalist called Sharon Sterone, who I just think is excellent. Um, she writes about space and science. And um, sometimes it's so hard for me to put my finger on what it is that I like about specific writers. But for her, I'd say it's um, she brings a lot of warmth, but a lot of kind of wonder to, to, to space, to journalism about space, which might seem like obvious, but it, but, but it's really not. It can get really technical and just 
uh, yeah, so I, I really like her. And then there's a journalist called Amelia Tate, uh, based in the UK. Um, she's mm. a pop, pop culture kind of features writer. And uh, she manages to ask the most bizarre questions, mm. but that when you see what she's written, you're like, wow, I've, I've always wanted to know that. Like there's one mm. the other day um, that she wrote, uh, maybe in a newsletter, I, I can't remember, but it was about like um, who makes the huge ice cream cones outside, like... Mm. Um, the kind of ice cream shops and things that you get down on yeah. the seafront, things like that. So it's like, wow, that's so fascinating to me. So yeah, those, those two really stick out for me as people I admire. But um, um, I'm surprised there's no Taylor Lorenz. Do you love Taylor Lorenz and stuff? Yes. Being social media, in <laughs> your taste. Well, I feel a bit. I actually really like her stuff. Yeah, I think she's great. And she's become such a kind of spokesperson for so many things. But in terms of, yeah, in terms of like specializing and things, I feel like she's very much got the kind of, yeah, social media and TikTok and things like that, which is, you know, what I'm very interested in. But I wouldn't say it's what I keep up with the most. But yeah, I hear you. Right. Um, yeah. you. What's the bit of work that you're most proud of? It's a difficult one. Okay, so I... I I did a couple of articles, um, not last year, the year before, for One Zero, so it's Medium's uh, tech mm. website. Um, now that was a great process anyway, because the editor there was just great to work with. Uh, but I did a few pieces that I just really always wanted to explore. So um, there was a piece about uh, why do we give robots eyes and how do we design them so that we'll want to be around them, but not feel kind of freaked out by them or yeah. or and things like that. So. That was the big question. And then, you know, other big questions like, um, should we be worried about violence in virtual reality? And how can we stop that? And how can we police it? And is it as bad as we think? So those kind of big questions. And how how do you like to be managed? How do you like to work with people? Are you a, a solo operator that hands it in and then we, you barely go into the office at all? Are you, do you <laughs> like the collaborative elements of it when you're talking to other people? How, yeah, what, what floats your boat in terms of working practices? Um, I'm an introvert and I'm really... Um, I'm really affected by sensory stuff. So if, mm. it, like, if I'm in kind of a loud environment or just like too bright or something, it can really, really affect my creativity and my writing and everything. So mostly I quite like to be solitary, but I love kind of a one-to-one um, relationship with, with editors that I have um, where we can collaborate. And I love being able to just feel like I can say anything that comes into my head and not feel kind of judged and feel like everything kind of matters. Um, and I had a really great working relationship with the editor on my book where I felt like I could just say ideas and not feel like anything's going to be, you know, judged or silly or anything. And I think that's where the best kind of creativity comes from. Silly question to end this section, Becca. <laughs> Have you ever seen an article in a publication that either has made you pull your hair out because you're so jealous that other people have thought about it or you thought, hang on, that's one of mine. That should have been my work. That should have <laughs> come to you. How does I just imagine when you hear, I used to broadly work in uh, more of a creative role. And I remember seeing one of our pitch creatives appear on a billboard about a month later. Yeah. Do you, I'm wondering whether you have similar stories to that. Do you know what? I, I don't know if it's a conscious thing, but I really don't engage with that because I feel like if I did, there'd be so much that I wish I'd written. <laughs> Um, and actually, um, uh, just kind of thinking about journalists I admire, there's a, a US-based journalist who writes um, for Medium called uh, Angela Lashbrook, and she writes some of the similar kind of things to me. And sometimes I'll read her work and be like, wow, I 
that that's really similar to my stuff um and actually I just really admire her and like we have a nice we have kind of you know we chat and stuff so yeah I don't know if that sounds really kind of like worthy and like I don't feel envy but I feel like if I I feel like I couldn't I couldn't stay sane writing if I if I did because I you know everything to do with tech that's vaguely interesting I'd 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 wish I'd written it. <laughs> so I'm still here with Becca, Becca Caddy. She's um, she's a technology and science journalist, but she's also the author of Screen Time, How to Make Peace with Your Devices and Find Your Tequilibrium. See what she's done there. Nice one, <laughs> Becca. I want to kind of jump around a number of different bits. Let's focus on journalism and and if you like brands that are in the publishing space we've already kind of looked on a couple of kind of differences but do you think there's a model for every publisher out there because we're seeing really tough times is it is it about finding the model right is there is there a silver bullet that can work for everybody's business and and not do you see what i mean is there a future in quality journalism i think it's difficult because you know, in an ideal world, as a journalist, I'd say that people need to pay more for content um, and subscribe to publications that they like and, you know, keep them afloat and things like that. But that's so difficult to ask of readers. Um, so I think there's, I think it's a real challenge. Yeah. And I don't know what the answer is. And I think it would probably be very different for different publications. Mm. Um some places can still get away with putting kind of a lot of banner advertising and then others can charge and others can, you know, um, I quite like the way, um, I know Medium's a bit different because you can just publish anything on Medium, but there are also sites within Medium that, you know, kind of I write for as a journalist. Um, but I like the way that they have uh, like a more of like a premium subscription and certain amount of kind of things that you can see for free so I, I like that model but I know it doesn't work for everyone and I, I know that's a big ask so yeah I don't really have an answer but I, 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 I fine. yeah I mean yeah. if we'd have sorted it in a two-minute chat I'm sure the continents uh, <laughs> of common sense in the publishing industry would have come to us sooner than just now but it's a really tough one and I think you're right in terms of different model for different people I mean mm. look at it this way I'm a subscriber to Monocle where I think it's still true they they make you pay more if you're a subscriber because you get the extra bits on top I also right. subscribe to Wired yeah and it's you're right you want to be supporting great journalism but then when you see the Ferrari advert on page seven you kind of think well they would have spent quite a lot do you know what it's really tough to get what right I mean broadly I'm of your opinion of support the the, the sites and the magazines that you love so much um just staying in the world of journalism right now is and a, actually a thing that you touch on in the book is about mental health and mm. I really want to kind of just get to grips with how screen time your brilliant book affects mental health I for example have given up watching quite as much news as I possibly can um, so I still feel informed but don't feel overwhelmed mm. uh, to talk to us about the idea of the book first of all and then let's do, what, take a take a stroll into the world of mental health and see how it's related to screen time yeah because I mean you're right Mops, and there is a chapter in the book called Mental Health, but really all, most of the chapters kind of relate to mm. mental health. Um, yeah, so the idea of the book came from um, seeing a lot of other books about how to kind of detox from tech, uh, log off social media, how to leave Facebook for good, things like that. Um, and some of them are great and some of them work great for some people. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like there's, 
a lot of people who maybe feel like they they need to address their relationship with tech, but they can't give it up and they can't delete it, whether that's because they feel like they need it for work or connection or they just enjoy it, you know, and there's a big part of the book about kind of using tech for relaxation and enjoyment and connection and things like that. So I just felt like there weren't many guides or books out there that that encourage people to find that kind of balance in the middle. So it's very much about balance. And I mean, you said the word tech, the word equilibrium is in the subheading and that was actually the title at one point mm. of the book, um, but it couldn't fit properly on the, on the front. So <laughs> we changed it, but it's, so it's that idea of finding, you know, finding your balance and as well as finding balance, something I'm really, really um, passionate about is like giving people the tools and insights to figure this out for themselves. Like there are so many, uh, pro like kind of programs you can buy and retreats you can go on and things like that to help you to detox and more things you can buy to help you use things less which I'm just so uh, I don't like it <laughs> I want to give people the power and their kind of insights themselves to make changes so that's another big part of the book as well so why did a book like this need writing then you've you've talked about how you're almost you've seen other books that are not quite the same as this in terms of approach and style. Mm. Do you think this needs writing? Do you think people need the help to focus on their own relationship with technology? Yeah, I think, um, well, it's funny because I actually came up with the pitch for this idea uh, last January. So before kind of uh, COVID and everything Mm. um, kind of uh, came to the UK at least. Um, And but I think even more now, it's even more important because people really feel that push and pull. I, I think maybe if all of this hadn't happened, maybe more people would be deleting and detoxing and finding, mm. getting more from those kind of extremes. But I think what the past year has taught us is that we actually really need a lot of our tech to connect with people, have fun, play, learn, everything like that. So I, I think, especially this past year, there, there was um, a gap for a book that found the balance. And 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 also, it was written by someone who does love tech. Um, yeah. Like, I oh. I can't think of what I'm, think, uh, what I'm thinking of right now, but there is um, a great book about cutting down on tech by someone who's never really spent much time on social media. And I, I'm sure, it, I'm, I'm sure there's some great advice in there. But at the same time, I think it was really important to come from the perspective of like, I love this stuff and I've always used it (laughs) and I struggled with it myself, but you know, here here we go. Um, Yeah. Have you got the balance right now or do you constantly have to check yourself? Um, Much better than before, but uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a process. Yeah. I do still have to remind myself to, um, you know, I do still have to address old habits, create new habits, remind myself to get off my screen. Um, and I think things have been very difficult this past year. Um, but yeah, I'd like to say I mostly practice what I preach. <laughs> <laughs> so you said the word connection a number of times and it mm. is the theme throughout the text. It's, and it's a great book, by the way, for those listening that haven't bought it yet. Hurry up. It came out December <laughs> 30th. Is that right? So um, January 7th. Yeah. January 7th. There we are. So one of the new year releases. But it's and, and I suppose the other thing is this is exactly as you've just said, Becca, around the screen time, which is parents, you know, kind of the square row pair is what they call the television. Television. So they I've yeah. not heard that before. Wow. It's not bad, is it? It's funny <laughs> ones. I can't take credit for that, but it's good, isn't it? So, <laughs> so these streams are, are there, and, and I know lots of people kind of empower that. Let's look at the opposite to connection. I've read a book by Johan Hari, which mm. is called Chasing the Screen, and he says the opposite to 
um, addiction is connection. And you have both of those words within the, within the text. Talk to us about these addictive qualities that we go after, because I'm, I pick up my iPad, check Twitter, put it down, pick up my phone and check my Twitter again. Just <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah, it's serious, isn't it? Yeah, it's such an interesting question. And I, um, the first chapter, this is why the first chapter of the book is called Addiction. And it's all about, are we addicted? How should we think about that? Why do we feel like we're addicted? Um, and really, the kind of the kind of expert opinion is that we can't necessarily say it's an addiction in terms of kind of other addictions, like say a drug addiction or something like that, but absolutely triggers some of the same kind of reward systems and things in the brain. And I'm not in the same way. So that's why I, I kind of cringe when I hear someone say like uh, Twitter is like cocaine or something yes similar things are going on but it's not it's just not that simple Um, but yes I think we absolutely all have a kind of dependency on checking and we all feel that little kind of hit of a reward from the dopamine that we get and you know it's just my opinion but in the book I kind of encourage people to see it as um, a load of habits uh, yeah. A load of, I don't necessarily want to say bad. I try not to do the whole bad and good thing with tech, but bad habits. Um, mm. <laughs> and and that way we can kind of start to think, well, what is the trigger there? What is it that we need? Um, is it that we want to, I'm saying connection again, I've said it so much, but is it That's that we fine. feel like, is it that we feel like we want to connect with someone? In which case, okay, why don't we replace the habit of, um, looking at Twitter all the time to like ringing a friend or or still using your screen but like texting someone back rather than just generally scrolling which you know is a really interesting that the more you kind of just passively scroll the more it can affect your mental health rather than like actually engaging with someone and messaging them and things like that. Um, Let me just pick up on bad habits then Becca because if you like talking about screen time with parents particularly Mm. only because that's kind of my social demographic and everybody's going through tough time just for the benefit of the list I have no idea when this will come out but we're kind of getting to the end I hope of lockdown three um and and often we're finding parents are justifying screen time in a different way and similar to you actually not all screen time is bad when Mm. when my little boy and little girl are looking at origami demonstrations with a view to them be creating paper shows. Oh, I love that. That's probably okay. Yeah. But if they are purely watching as my son found a picture of a daddy pig from uh, Peppa Pig being roasted on a barbecue, that's <laughs> less okay. Two genuine real world things. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm pleased that you and other people are drawing a distinction between not all screen time is bad. Yeah, yeah. And I think... Um, it, uh, it's kind of quite it's quite general I think there's much more nuance to it but I do think it's that what I just said around active and passive use and is it you know I I I say when it comes to kind of parenting like is it adding to the moment or taking away like I Mm. I referenced in the book in the at the end of the connection chapter where I do kind of touch on parenting and um and families it's like um there's an example of a parent and child I think it's a science museum or a natural history museum and if they're using their phones to kind of like find out more about the exhibitions like say uh something more about that dinosaur or there's yeah. an augmented reality element um you're still on your screen but it's such a different experience to if um the mum is ch- checking twitter or something like mm. that so it's like is this is this adding something is this active or is this passive and and i think that's a really good kind of 
indicator and wait something to ask yourself but at the same time I'm very like pro people using and, and children using tech to just relax and possibly you know maybe not the Peppa Pig video but like <laughs> um if they want to kind of watch like unboxing videos like one after the another maybe that's okay sometimes um yeah. obviously limits would have to be set but I think I don't think we should there are some things that I don't think we should kind of like ever demonize um I'm yeah, I mean, in agreement. I mean, the other thing that um, comes across, we work with part of the Advertising Standards Authority mm. with a type of business called, um, they're called Media Smart, and they're created to educate children about what's really going on when they're being advertised to. Oh, that's great. Wow. So we work with, the reason why I bring this up is there's um, there's conversation around body image within your book as well, yes. right? And we work with um, Hannah Witten, who's awesome anyway. Um, yes, internet on yeah, yes. there. she's great. We must get her on rocket fuel soon, actually, because she's awesome company. But she <laughs> talks for MediaSpark was talking about the issues of educating children about how they're consuming things on social media. Yeah. Just from reading your book, there's almost a cause for using tech effectively. There's almost a cause for owning it not stigmatizing it um to make it the right way for all society to use it would you broadly agree yeah and I, th I think that's true because I think you know it, it, if young people do want to access certain things they they probably just will so it's much more about yeah talking and educating and kind of what's real and what's filtered and 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 what's the marketing message and what isn't and what what is this influencer selling and what and, and things like mm. that so yeah just really honest and open communications and I know that's easy for me to say um, especially because I'm not a parent but um I, I think that is the kind of key you know yeah I'm thinking Becca or Dr Caddy as I should call it <laughs> describing me something from a tech place I'm serious, I've got, I'm a, very much in the Apple ecosystem. Mm. I'm the only person in the world that still owns an iPod Touch, but I do because I listen to that many podcasts. I also have my phone and I also have my iPad and it's a super duper iPad, but pretty much I don't do anything with my laptop anymore because but the presentations I write are too ugly so other people have to work with them to write them for me. So, <laughs> so that's why I make it on an iPad. I was seriously thinking, do you know what a light phone is? So, yeah. I Go saw on. that you mentioned it in some of the kind of notes and I, I took a look at it, yeah. Right, so for the benefit of the listener, a mm. light phone is almost reclaiming a phone back to do what it was meant to do. It calls, it texts, it even has some kind of podcast way with it, yes. I think. It looks an awesome bit of kit and it's designed to take the apps and everything else that makes it addictive. It could be people's weekend phone, it could be their full-time phone. Do you think we might see more of that sort of stuff? Now, I really like that one, actually. And I hadn't heard of that one before. So I'm really glad that you kind of flagged it up and I, I got to kind of look at it because it looks nice. And it's also not just kind of um, it's not just well, it is a bit it's not just dumbing down a smartphone. It's actually thinking, OK, what do people actually need, mm. um, which I really like. I'm, I'm sometimes wary about new products and apps and, and programs and courses and things that uh, aim to get us to get more stuff to make us use stuff less. So mm. sometimes I'm a bit wary about that um, generally, but I do like, yeah, I, I like that idea. And I, you know what I really like, and um, I don't think it ever took off, I'll have to check it, but the idea of kind of having more modular, customized tech. Now this mm. won't be something that like will be in the near future, but 
the idea of you picking what aspects of a phone that you would want and mm. being able to kind of yeah create something modular I think it was called like blocks phone or something years ago but anyway um and that's what I liked about the light phone um mm. but yeah I think there could definitely be a future in in more simple you know streamlined what do you actually need it for mm. kind of tech because every device does everything I mean I've been trying to buy mp3 players on android mm. and frankly the trouble is they're all just far too good they all yeah. <laughs> they all have every app under the sun they all yeah so everything is trying to do everything everybody's trying to do everything with one little device in your pocket which to be fair people told us would happen 15 years ago and yeah. now we're just all cross that it is because we're not present yeah and i think you know it's that, that's a really interesting point actually because i make it in the book around wearable mm. tech and kind of just because it can do everything and track everything you do and collect all this health data it doesn't mean you actually need to be wearing it all the time and, and keeping such a close eye on all that stuff um so yeah that's a really really good point yeah, yeah. um i want to just touch on two other bits whilst we're whilst we're chatting and whilst yeah. we've got the benefit of you becca here and it's, <laughs> thank you once again um i want to ask a question about generations now mm. It's always tempting to look at and, and look at age. It might not be mean anything. It might be better to look at stage. But broadly, do you think tech, is it less well used by older people, less well used by younger people? Is there anything that we can splice and dice through the generational prism, if you like? I feel like there's probably, if we're talking about concerns, I feel like there are probably different concerns for different age groups. Yeah. That's fair, yeah. Um, when you say kind of not, not necessarily dividing up by age, but I think what's really interesting, and I don't have research back to stuff, it's just kind of personal, um, mm. is um, looking at how younger generations, now I'm talking about like my 15-year-old sister here, is really switched on to kind of privacy and making sure that all the content she creates kind of isn't necessarily all out there and being really, really selective about what she puts on Instagram and things like that, which yeah. is fascinating to me because, you know, uh, at that age I had no idea about stuff like that so I think it's really interesting that different age groups are switched on to different things whereas you'd get people who are um maybe kind of in the in their 40s and 50s who know much more maybe about different kinds of tech but aren't as switched on to kind of privacy issues and things like that so I actually think it's I actually think it's quite difficult yeah to to mm. divide those things up and I think there is a big gap generally in terms of kind of people um what I was really interested in in writing the book was how few people kind of read privacy policies or check up on things like that. And that's kind of across the across the board. Um, yeah. I want to ask a really silly question to conclude this uh, part of the chat. Um, and it goes like this. My brother, Tom, and my little sister, weirdly, Lizzie, work for Amazon. Mm. And what that effectively means for a wider family circles is if we all get together as a family people will bring their kindles and expect tom and lizzie to fix them that kind of <laughs> is the limited understanding you must have it really bad because everybody will ask you what phone do i get what kettle do i get what does that happen in the real world as a tech journalist yeah all the time um <laughs> especially tvs which um i probably know more about tv tech than the average person but it's not um something that i keep up with because you know like i said before if I tried to keep up with every aspect of, of uh, you know, every new product or something, I just, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do it. Um, so, yes, people often ask me what TV to buy. <laughs> um, I want to go into one of the themes as well that we addressed earlier on, actually, just with the light phone. Mm. And just actually point out, I wonder if we will start seeing it in 
in other publications. So I only reference, I had the ultimate middle-class guilt happening last year, and that is when you don't even open the plastic wrapper of your copy of The Economist, and they just mount up, <laughs> and it's so, so naughty. So I stopped that, and I went to Tortoise, which are a new kind of oh, yes. new starter, and they are great yeah. because they will give you three stories a day. And I just think maybe that's a sign of, brands not overloading us in this in this sort of age yes and I think kind of more long-form thoughtful kind of content around issues rather than like hundreds of news posts a day yeah I I, I really agree and that's exactly how you know I like to write and work as well um much 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 slower and more thoughtful and things you wouldn't have maybe usually thought of and interviews with people and things like that so yeah So I'm still here with Becca Caddy and the last part of our interview, of our chat, tends to be around some rocket fuel, some tangible assets and insights that our audience of media marketing, some tech professionals can weave into their daily professional lives. We're going to switch it up a little bit this week because we're going to look at technology. What would that be Becca's strong suit? So talk to us about this, Becca. What, how is technology changing and and what will be the next wave of technological advances be? Ooh, that's such a big, exciting question. Um, Okay, so um, uh, I'm just really interested in, I'm interested in audio stuff at the moment. Um, We've, you know, Clubhouse coming out recently and people being kind of unsure about whether that's the kind of thing they want to try out or um so I'm interested in that and I I I don't really I don't know I don't know if I can predict if that will stick and whether kind of the future of social networking is audio but I find that really interesting and I think some people will really really gel with that Mm. um me not so much because I'm sometimes quite scared of public speaking but I know a lot of people like uh the audio element so that's something uh big to think about in terms of social media um it's funny, I feel like there's like what I'd like to see in the future, mm-hmm. what we'd likely see. Um, there's a guy called uh, Tristan Harris. Uh, I think he used to work at, yes, work at Google. Um, and he's really great for kind of um, exposing a lot of the, the you know stuff that goes on at big tech companies and things like that. And he, does a, he did a TED talk and he said some great stuff about what the perfect kind of social network would look like. Mm-hmm. He kind of still had them around like, getting people to connect in real life and encouraging kind of uh, more kind of spontaneous interactions. And, you know, you connect with someone on, on the social platform so that you could then go meet in real life and things like that. So they're some of the things that would be great if they did happen. I don't know if there's like much of a, of a kind of reason for say Facebook to go in that direction, but yeah. um, oh, there are so many things. <laughs> Let me throw another one into the mix here yeah. because again, it might seem like a slightly silly question, but I'm really, really keen to ask it. You often hear about, is there a gap in the market for dot, 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 but often what people don't ask is, yeah, but is there a, is there a market in the gap? So is there enough yeah. money to be made by, by launching a product? Have you seen a product that you've thought or a device or a trend that you've thought that's incredible and it just not seeing the light of day? I mean, just to give you an example, and this is a really dumb example. um, I went to a focus group when I was much younger, probably about 20 years ago now. And they were talking about um, a box, a goods box that sits outside your house. So you give delivery drivers a number. So there it is, it would be your box and so stuff could arrive. Now, 
what they didn't, nobody said in the focus group, could you just get it sent to work or just get it sent it when I'm in? And nobody said that. So this, yeah, strange you never saw any. I'm just wondering if you've seen any. So, okay, it's not such a good example like that, but hmm. I'm kind of surprised that uh, more people haven't switched onto kind of virtual reality this past year. And I haven't actually seen any recent stats, so I could be totally wrong here. Um, yeah. But um, I feel like uh, during the past year would have been a perfect time for more and more people that were unsure about VR to try, say, the Quest, the Oculus Quest, things like that, yeah. and PSVR. And, you know, I, th I think the numbers are actually doing much better than they ever had. But at the same time, does that, uh, it's kind of like such a cliche now among people who write about VR, but like what the killer app will be and when it'll yeah. go mainstream and all that kind of stuff. Um, and if I were to have bet on it a few years ago, I would have said that, you know, it it, it would have by now. Um, mm. So yes, that's something that maybe not as a great example as yours because people no, are no, using no, VR. I think it was a lot. Your one was much better articulated and a lot less silly, so I really appreciate that. Um, Becca, whether it's one takeaway from our chats, whether it's one takeaway from the book, what is the one takeaway you want to leave our audience with? Okay, so I think it would be... It's kind of two things. Okay. That's fine. So Cheap. I think I think um <laughs> I think go easy on yourself when it comes to screen time. Um I think that it's 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 far too easy to think um I'm spending too much time on this. I need to stop it and I need to delete this and that and invariably that often just does lead to people feeling kind of high strung and you know um not being able to use certain things just makes them download it again. So I think go easy on yourself. And kind of what we said around like connection and parenting, just be a little, I don't always like the word mindful or mindfulness, but it is that it's be a bit more mindful about how you're using it. Um, if you could kind of put, put your phone down and actually kind of connect with someone better in real life, then, then do that. But if you're actually getting something from the screen, then, then, you know, maybe that's okay. So <laughs> Yeah. yeah, mindful is a great word. I also think just being present in any moment. That's it. I mean, speaking yeah. as a dad, it's like, and, and the worst actually is talking to your children and they say, you're not allowed any devices, you're not allowed any screens. It's like, well, what are you doing? It's like, I'm reading the newspaper. I'm not messing around. Well, my newspaper is his, you know, gaming YouTube. Yes, right yes. <laughs> and that's that's so interesting because there is um, a lot of the research around like kind of like what families want is that feeling of like, we're all in it together. And mm. like, we're all, we're all using our devices in this way or we're all doing this particular activity. And yeah, maybe it will be a book or maybe it would be watching YouTube videos. So yeah, I think that's... That's, yeah, that's really important. Yeah. Well, Becca, thanks so much for joining us. The book is um, Screen Time, How to Make Peace with Your Devices and Find Your Tequilibrium. Anybody can buy it pretty much anywhere. Um, does it help you if they buy it any, any, anywhere? Oh, actually, before I say where can people find you, Becca, what's the next book going to be about? You don't have, to tell us. have you got any themes? Um, I really enjoyed... Well, I really enjoyed writing all the book, but I really enjoyed the final chapter about the future um, mm. and how we think about the future and what we want from it and the role we can play in it. So uh, no big ideas for what the next book would be, but I would love to explore that in a bit more depth, I think. Yeah. Exciting. Um, give us your social media profiles where you want people to look you up to uh, you know, get in touch. Go on. Uh, yeah, so I'm Becca Caddy, B-E-C-C-A-C-A-D-D-Y on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Nice, thank you. Becca, it's been so good to have you. You know, I, I think the work's great. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
So that was Becca Caddy. Screen Time, How to Make Peace with Your Devices and Find Your Tequilibrium is the book. I'd urge you all to get it. I'd urge you all to tune in next week. And if you think somebody could get a lot from Becca's book or from this podcast, do share it with them, won't you? I've been James Erskine, presenter of Rocket Fuel, brought to you by Rocket. We'll see you next week for some more Rocket Fuel. This is a Rocket Audio production.